Hey, Melissa, is it possible for me to love gravy any more than I already do? I don't know, Mary Beth, but maybe. We're already planning for the 2022 season, and we want listener ideas. What kind of gravy would you like to hear? Is there a story that needs to be told? Or maybe a sillier closing line that we should be using. I have never been sold on pouring gravy into your ears. That is so gross. What do you want, Mary Beth? Binders full of gravy? Buckets full of gravy? A gallon of gravy? Perhaps. (laughs) Tell us... And if we use your suggestions, maybe you will like gravy even more. Visit gravypodcast.com. Got it? Gravypodcast.com. And click the survey link at the top of the page. Answer a few quick questions by September 30th, and you could win dun dun dun, dun a valuable prize. Valuable prize? How valuable? Very, very valuable. We'll ship a gravy t-shirt to three randomly selected responders. And we might even thank you in a future show. Okay, I think I've got it. Here's the recap. Visit gravypodcast.com by September 30th, answer quick questions, and earn a chance to win. We thank you in advance for helping us make better gravy. Excited to lap up another episode of Gravy? Tell a friend. Pass the gravy boat. There's plenty to go around. I'm Melissa Hall. And I'm John T. Edge. We're your hosts for Gravy. 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 In the Alabama Black Belt, hunting has evolved from a pursuit that puts food on the table to an opportunity for fellowship in the outdoors. Please note that this fellowship does not extend to the doves, raccoons, deer, and possums that these hunters have in their sights. In this episode, Black Belt resident Jackie Clay takes us hunting in Sumter County. For generations, Alabama Black Belt families living on small farms grew and hunted what they needed to sustain themselves. Wild game was a major part of the diet for working families. Today, hunting is still a popular pursuit but it's less about sustenance and more about the camaraderie, challenge, connection with dogs, and immersion in nature that hunting provides. It was a, a means of putting meat on the table. Back in my days, you know, you didn't ask what it was. They put it on the table and had, had dinner here, you know. But we had ate it. We had ate the deer. We didn't ate the coon the possum. I don't want no part of it now. Like I said, Meal was fixed, your plate was on the table, and you eat. You bless it and you eat. Jerry Dawson, who grew up in Sumter County, first went raccoon hunting as a small child with his father, and his memories are vivid. In a situation, we might come through like we get to a creek or high water or something. One of, one of his friends used to always get me and put me up on his shoulders and take me across the creek. That's something that really just lingered with me over the years. Jerry's father passed away when he was nine. He stopped raccoon hunting in his teens, returning to it as an adult. And Jerry is the only one in his family to keep it up. His brothers don't really get what he sees in it. See, and I, I don't either. Sometimes I be out there and I, I question my own self. What, what in the devil? I'm, I'm out here, like I said, you're running all that type of terrain. You might, you might get in some places that are so thick. You might have to get on your hands and knees. I'm serious. You had to get on your hands and knees and just crawl through them, you know, 
bush slapping you in the face, you're going through the woods and stepping in the maybe step in a hole or something or cold, get out there, the rain catch you out there. And turn right around and do the same thing the next night. I basically just like the the, the dogs, just to hear the dogs running. That's my basis. And knowing the challenges, you know, that that a, a raccoon present. And when you get you a good coon dog, you you got you something to kind of brag on with with the other guys, you know. Jerry hunts with two friends, and they test their dogs together to see which ones make a good team. Uh, like I say, after you hunt them together, you'll find out some hunt better together than the others. You might put a couple of them together, then they'll just get out and just go to rambling. You know what I'm saying? We find the right pair we can we can put up, you know, and that's what we base the turn loop. And they go out and strike a trail and. And that raccoon, that raccoon, he is very, very cunning. You know, he, he not for us, a, a dog can, can run him down and catch him easily. But what he be doing, he be playing so many games, he might, <clears throat> he might run up here and run up that tree there a little ways and dive off it. You know, or either go up that tree and climb out on one limb and go to this tree here and then come down and keep going. And if the dog is not trained or smart, you get that to the tree and that coon ain't nowhere in sight. You know, he, he, he didn't play this game. But you know, after you get a, uh, a good dog, most of the time when he, he'll go to the tree and smell where he went up, then he'll come down and he'll make a circle. He'll make a big circle. And if that, he don't catch that scent coming out that, out that circle, you know, he'll go back to the tree. But even if the raccoon is in the tree, you still have to find him. You know, you got your lights and you're spotting for him, and you might be able to spot his body, and then you might not. And we got what you call a squaller, you know, that make a sound, basically, that squall for him. And then if he look, his, you know, his eyes reflect at night. You know, when you get, if you can get him to look, you know, he'll show up just like daylight. Sometimes raccoons won't look, even if you squall or beat the tree with a stick. I've seen them that they would, they would just resist the look. I don't care what you do. We had been in some situations. We, we had gotten down dogs tree. We had gotten to the tree, couldn't find the, couldn't find the coon. We didn't squall. We didn't pull some vine. Sometimes you can get some vine. We'll shake the vine. Maybe we finna call tonight, put the dogs on the leash. And maybe walk off a hundred yards or two hundred yards and turn your light back around, he'll look at you and then he'll close them back up. Believe it or not, you I have seen them would take one of the feet and put it put over one of his eyes and look out the other one. And you would actually think maybe that's a star or something. With all of these tricks to contend with, we ask, how do you get a good coon dog? Basically, just, you just don't have to get out there and working and just hunting. But I have six-month dogs, seven-month dogs, a way ahead of where he's supposed to be at the time. Then I have him two or three years old. He's not, not nearby what he needs to be. If I keep one up over two years and he ain't what I want him to be, I'm just about going to trade him in. We constantly swapping and trading or selling. Or you have a little eight or nine, you might have a good, good report on maybe two that turned out to be, you know, seem like it'll be a good dog and the rest of them just 
It's hard to get a good one. You can get some pretty dogs now, you know, like the blue tick and the black and tan and the walker hounds or the plot hounds. And, you know, you can get some beautiful dogs, you know. But uh, that pretty don't treat no coon. That pretty don't treat no coon. Raccoon hunters get to know their dogs so well, they can tell by the bark where the dogs are in the hunting process and whether they're tracking a raccoon or something bigger, like a deer, bobcat, fox, or wild hog. See, when they when they do tree, they're going to they gonna, they gonna be showing no sound and off. You know what I'm saying? They're going to be anxious. You know what I'm saying? They're going to be in the change that track ball and then they went to that tree ball. They running something like a hog or a deer or something. They're going to be real, real excited. You know, they're going to be showing no, show no bark, but a coon bark is just about you know, just slow, kind of like a slow pace. Jerry has a friend who can find his location by the stars, but Jerry has gotten lost plenty. A lot of times we'd be able to drive so close, you know, and then you have to foot it on when the older guy here mostly just stay at the truck. And we get to the tree or whatever, call him on the phone, tell him to blow the horn or something like that before we can get our <laughs> sense of direction. Well, you get too deep that you can't hear the horn blowing, you, you in there, you know, you in there. We might tell them to get out the truck and fire a couple shots up in the air. And uh, we have got that deep that we couldn't even, we couldn't even hear the shots fired. But this particular night, <clears throat> the fog come up and we couldn't really get no good sense of direction. And uh, we made a couple of rounds, well, several rounds through the woods and we end up just by back at the same spot. So we decided, to, well, we didn't decide we had no other choice. We had to spend the night. And uh, we made a fire and we're just up talking a while. And eventually all of us finally went to sleep. And I was working the day shift then. I, I was something like 10 minutes from where I work at. So when daylight came, you know, things cleared up and we could clearly see how to get out of there. So I left out the woods going to work. During that time, there wasn't no cell phone. I couldn't call home and let my wife know, you know, what the situation was. But anyway, when I got to the got to the job there, I went to the phone booth. The minute I called her, <clears throat> got halfway explaining what the deal was, <clears throat> she hung up the phone. <laughs> and uh but you know she been taller with she been she been very supportive. She's been very supportive with me. But even when he's lost in the woods at night, Jerry isn't afraid. I don't fear the night, you know what I'm saying? I don't, I don't have no fear. You know, I know there'll be a lot of things out there in the woods and things, but I don't, I don't really have no, no fear at night. For one thing, he knows he's prepared. I never go out there unless I have at least three lights, if not four. And I keep a backpack of batteries, boobs, you know, several lights, little, little, little odds and ends in there, survival stuff. I might throw me a can of couple cans of vainas in there in my pocket, or some crackers, or a couple bottles of water. Them guy, them guy called me MacGyver. <laughs> I'm gonna have a rope, I'm gonna have some matches, I'm gonna have, you know, I'm, I keep all the type of little stuff in there, you know. Although he's prepared, Jerry prefers not to hunt alone. And I have gone by myself, but it ain't, it's not very fun and it's not very practical to, to go out there by yourself, cause, you know. Things can happen, you know, I could get injured myself or whatever, it's not. Then when you're out there by yourself, you ain't got no story to tell, you know. You ain't got no, you ain't got no competition out there with you, so. For Jerry, 
This social aspect of raccoon hunting extends to the table because even though he doesn't eat raccoon anymore, he still likes to cook it for his friends. Take him and put him in a aluminum pan and give me some foil and close him up in that foil and stick him in a smoker. And I cook him like that. And most of when you cook him like that, he just fall off everything. You just take a fork and just fall, you know, rake the, rake the meat off, maybe get some barbecue sauce or something. But when the guys, you know, we didn't get together this past Super Bowl cause, you know, cause of the pandemic. But I usually, they usually be looking for me. I, like I said, I, I don't eat them, but I still, I like to cook them. I cook them up and man, them guys, them guys tear that coon up. They, <laughs> they tear that coon up, you know. Don't show up for the hunt with your sexist idea about who ought to be in these woods. When we come back, Emily Blavos introduces us to eagle-eyed Nikki Baker, who often shoots her limit way before the men do. This summer, Lodge has created a new Wanderlust series. Cast with imagery of outdoor travel and designed to fuel your adventures, this series features two skillets and a combo cooker, which works as a Dutch oven and comes with a lid that easily converts to a skillet. Versatile and easy to store, they're the perfect partners for journeys through nature and on the open road. Lodge also added the durable and portable kickoff grill to their packing lists. The easy to use cast iron grill is perfect for family vacations, camping trips, and game day tailgates. As summer turns to fall, Lodge has the cast iron you need to simplify outdoor cooking, season over season. Visit LodgeCastIron.com to order your summer cookware. For their commitment to quality cast iron cookware and their longtime support of the Southern Foodways Alliance, we thank Lodge. Nikki Baker grew up in rural Marengo County and now lives in its largest city of Demopolis. Her husband, Mike, introduced her to dove hunting, and she was immediately hooked. I can't tell anybody what it feels like. I've hunted for a long time now, and when that first bird falls, when its wings fold up and it hits ground, my heart still stops. It's wonderful. I mean, it's just absolutely thrilling. Dove season runs from September to January in Alabama, with some weeks on and some weeks off. Nikki describes a typical hunt. You would just gather up. After lunch, probably 1.30, something like that, go out to a field about 2 o'clock, sit around, wait for them to come in, get your little stool out. A lot of times it's during um, football season. All the men will have their little radios, and they'll be listening to the ball game. Doves will start coming in. Everybody will start saying, bird, bird. So when the bird comes in, jump up, I'm shooting. And then I'm back down like this if I miss. And if I don't miss, I'm going to get my bird, and then I'm coming back and stuffing my bird in my pouch, and then I'm waiting again like this till the next one comes. Nikki loves the social aspect of dove hunting and the pride that comes from doing well. And if you go on a good dove hunt, it is probably one of the most fun things ever because you're with your friends and, you know, you can just give each other a hard time. It's like, oh, I can't believe you missed that one. Yeah, yeah, just, you know, I'm going to get it now that it's coming my way. And um, then when you hit it and that person missed it, you know, you can just really give them fits. And when you get your 15 and you're a woman and you walk off of a field, 
and there's men still on it. Oh, that is a feeling like no other feeling in the world. It's just like bragging rights or something. I don't know. I mean, I, I don't know what to compare it to because, you know, I don't play football or anything like that, but I would think it would be like making two or three touchdowns. Going, hitting your little butt like that when you walk off the field and, and you look over your shoulder and those guys are just still sitting there and say, no, I got mine. Oh, it's so oh, yeah. much pride. It's absolutely yeah. sinful. But Nikki warns us about dove hunting. It's not for the squeamish if you think about it. I mean, you know, sometimes you get there and he's not dead. You got to wring its neck or you got to step on its head. I mean, it does bother me sometimes when it's laying there and it just kind of looks up at you and its little eye blinks, you know, but you got to do it. Nikki's priority may be getting her 15 birds, but she also wants to look good doing it. Yeah, I, I want my outfit to look good. I want to look like I know what I'm doing. And with more women and girls taking up hunting, she has plenty to choose from. When I first started, you would go, I would go to buy like... Camouflage, and you couldn't even find women's camouflage back then. And now, I mean, you can find anything that you can dream of for women. Yet, as a woman hunter, Nikki does sometimes feel she has to prove herself. Like when she and Mike took their dream trip to dove hunt in Argentina, and Nikki was the only woman in the group. And um, I kind of had the feeling that they were like, mm, I don't know about her being down here with us, you know. But after about the first day, I guess they saw that I could shoot, and it was all okay. And I think that that's the case everywhere. And I've had a ton of people that when they really saw that I was trying, have gone out of their way to help me. Giving me tips, taking me hunting, and if somebody takes the time to show you how to do it, and it's something that you can love forever. And I hope that I can do that for other people, to share it with them. Because for Nikki, that's the true purpose and spirit of hunting. When it's all over, you're going to all sit around together, and you're going to talk about the day. You're going to spend time together. And, you know, at the end of the day, that's kind of what it's all about. So although Jerry Dawson and Nikki Baker both come from rural families who once relied on hunting to stay alive, Today, they use it to spend time outside with good friends, good dogs, and good aim. Gravy was reported and produced by Jackie Clay and Emily Blavos. Gravy was mixed and edited by Matt Whitson, a video editor and audio engineer with Alabama Public Television. Special thanks go to Julia Brock, Glenda James, and Kirk Brooker. We thank Wendell Patrick for Gravy's theme music and Jazar for our donor music. Managing editor for Gravy and all other SFA media is Sarah Camp Milam. Mary Beth Lassiter serves as our publisher. Neither one of them hunt. Visit us at southernfoodways.org to become a member or make a donation. It matters. Your dollars fund our work and help us make more gravy. I'm Melissa Hall. And I'm John T. Edge. Thanks for letting us pour some gravy in your ear.